0: I think one, you know, to first of all, be part of the Olympics and and, you know, uh, to the the whole jubilee, you know, of, of Her Majesty the Queen and and all these secret talks we were having. And and it was so funny because, you know, I said to Daniel told me, he said, so we're, we're going to do this thing, but nobody can say anything. And I remember thinking, oh, my God. So I started telling like so I started telling him and sort of. So let me just get this right, we're going to go to a BP and we're going to meet HMTQ number two and we're going to set up and film a little bit and the Queen's going to act. I mean, it is so remarkable, it's astounding.
1: Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film production junior working for studios in London. Each episode, I bring you advice and stories from film, TV, and content professionals to help demystify and democratize the industries for juniors and fans alike. Thanks for joining me, let's get started. With a career spanning 30 years in the business, today's guest is one of the most accomplished makeup designers in the industry. Working his way through over 100 projects, including The Departed, Skyfall, First Man, Sicario, and many more, He's become a close collaborator of director Denny Villeneuve and actors Jake Gyllenhaal, Daniel Craig and Mark Wahlberg along the way. I can't wait to learn more about his career and advice for juniors, so please welcome to the show, Emmy winner and BAFTA nominee, Mr. Donald Mowat.
0: Hello. Hi. What a nice introduction. Thank you.
1: That's quite all right. Now, to get us going, Donald, I like to ask each one of our guests, what did your parents do and did it affect your career decisions later in life?
0: Well... That's a very interesting question um, I'm, and one I'm very happy to answer. And I'm really glad somebody has asked that because do you know what? I've never been asked that before. That's good. Uh, my dad was a teacher. He was a very good one, actually, a head teacher. And my mom was a nurse, a registered nurse. And both my parents, well, all their lives as people did of that generation, right? But it's really interesting you ask me that because sometimes I wonder where, you know, that thing of getting, do we inherit certain things? Because my, you know, obviously my mom and dad weren't working in freelancers or working in what I'm interested in at all. But there's some similarities because I think they both gave very much of themselves in professions, especially teaching, which was, you know, the noble profession and all that. But I do think I I inherited quite a bit from my mom and dad, from their sense of duty and commitment to to what they do for others. Um, It didn't (laughs) it certainly didn't help teach me things navigating snakes and ladders of the film industry, because I think my mom and dad would be quite shocked by some of the things we put up with, and deal with as being so inappropriate. Um, But, yeah, that's what my mom and dad did. and, And I think they were very defined by what they did. Uh, for a living and, and started very young.
1: Because am I right that they're from the UK? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So my dad grew up a little bit in England and then went back up to Scotland during the war. We're talking a long, long time ago. And my mom's from up in Scotland. So we have a very British kind of uh, history in the UK and the whole family, really. I think it's just myself and my brother born outside the UK. So I think that that sensibility, maybe, you know, you carry with you no matter where your your family go, I think.
1: Yes, definitely. No, it's really cool. And I I know from some of my research that you were somewhat hesitant, I guess, about revealing your desire to want to be in makeup. Did you ever consider following a more traditional path to kind of appease the older relatives and such?
0: Well, you know, I feel like because people listening, and I I love that it's younger people listening, because let's face it, we're coming to a time at a, a moment where a lot of us who are getting more senior or older in the industry need to pass along the knowledge and the experience I think when I started, it's a hard thing to say because on a certain level, and I really mean this, I think the job as a makeup artist or a designer, a makeup man didn't come with an awful lot of respect. In terms of, you know, uh, the average person who thinks, what do you do for a living? I mean, how do you explain to someone? And I think that at the time it was difficult because I was luckily around people who liked going to the theater and liked films and things. But to the average person, I remember people not having a tremendous amount of respect. I think that's the thing I remembered. And I still think about it. I've completely not answered your question. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I, I think it makes me think of so many things because I remember thinking when I was young, but I loved this and I was I thought I was good at it. And people encourage you. And I always remind people that you don't know when you're good. Other people tell you when you're good and being quite young and people saying, you know, you ought to do this for a living. You should do this and thinking, really, like you can make a living. And once I figure it out, that's when my mom and dad thought, well, if you can make a living. Because I think people forget as a generational thing, my mother's 90. <laughs> so as a generational thing, God, bless, I mean, she looks incredible and she is incredible. But for people who live through the war and their youngest son says, guess what I want to do? When my mom went to nursing school, my father went to university and, you know, did a degree in, in literature. And you say, I want to do it. You kind of think, what the hell did we do wrong? <laughs> And as much as now it's all good, we're all good. But I think at the time, and I don't mean to lighten that on anybody other than to say, why is it now all the makeup artists are doing degrees? You see? So really, I wasn't wrong. There was a sense of lacking in something. And that now all these young makeup artists and makeup designers, and to a lesser degree, hair, but still the same, are doing the same thing, going to drama school, going to film school, which is what I was desperate to do when I was young. But there was honestly, there was no courses. There was nothing. Do you know, when I was young, you couldn't even train at the BBC. If you were really? a man. take that BBC hashtag times up me too. They wouldn't train a boy.
1: Wow. a Boy
0: is what they said. Not a man, a boy.
1: Was there a moment where everything changed and suddenly the haters, as it were, all went, you know, bloody hell, this, this is amazing what you're doing. And then that whole flipped mm-hmm. to another another way. I can imagine that.
0: You know, I think it's like anything you have to put up with a lot, don't you? We all do. There's a certain amount of, as you said, the haters. And I think it's a great expression. Uh, I think that there is a lot of competition. There's people who are naysayers that no, you can't. You can't. There's a lot of that, isn't there? People standing in your road. I think once you get to a point where somebody acknowledges you and that you feel like you've done and and it's a point I would like to really focus on and let people know who are listening. The one thing I've never loved about this business is this sense of people saying I'm only like someone said that to me one day. Well, I'm only doing a television show. I'm only doing the mate. And I went, but but don't belittle it. Don't make it sound like not everyone is going to work on this film. Not everyone is going to be an Academy Award winner. Not everybody is going to the BAFTAs. It just doesn't work like that. What you want is your own personal happiness of what do you like? And I love working. I love it. I hate the business. I I really do. People know that about me. That's a new thing. Um, I hate the business. I won't say hate because it's a terrible word. I don't like the business, but I love the work. I love the actors and I love the crew, most of them. And I love working. I love to create the design and the makeup and prosthetics and all that. But I want people to understand that when I started, I remember getting a job somewhere doing makeup demos at Harrods, for instance, i had a great time you know some of the work was a little bit whatever but i worked i had a contract for dior i went to meet them over at hyde park corner Uh, i went and worked at john lewis peter jones and sloan square do you know i learned to do a lot of good things i learned how to make up lots of different women lots of different faces it was a great experience but i never would say i'm only doing makeup but that's how people feel and i know it because they tell me they'll say oh I'm only doing this thing. And I've met people who say that and I feel like, don't please don't say that. If you're doing your job and you're making money and you're being paid to do what you love to do, it's a win-win. Actors feel like that more than we do. I'm afraid. I think the makeup world became a little bit elitist. Maybe does that make sense? That if it became much more. It was only interesting if you were working. And I felt that. I think to some extent, I felt that people were only interested when I said, you know, Donald, what, what are you working on? Oh, I'm working on. Because I remember saying it back to people. I mean, I was proud that I was. I remember an experience once years ago where a much senior makeup designer rang me to ask me a question and she i was working on my first big job and it was called captain power and the soldiers of the future it was ridiculous and i loved it and it was when i look back on it 30 years ago it was very it was unique and extraordinary for its time. And I I knew that secretly and deeply. And people made fun of it because it was called Captain Power. And the and they said it like that. But I remember a woman ringing me up and saying, so how's Captain? And I just thought, God, you're, why would you? I mean, and I hit her back. And I said, yeah, coming to the woman that I worked for on Meatballs, <laughs> we're going to have this contest that I'm working on Captain Power and you worked on Meatballs. Let's let's get real here, yeah, of, of judging and what people are working on. So my point in this whole long story for you is that I don't really think it matters if you're working on saw or meatballs or something. It's it's what you've done with it and what your level of success
1: is, and that you're working. It's interesting. You speak so passionately about it and you clearly are really keen on sort of sharing your story and advice to juniors. I've seen that you do lots of um, inspirational speaking gigs and things like that. Have you had any notable figures along the way yourself that you've learned from like that?
0: Oh, my God. So many. So I think it's really interesting. And I'm so glad because you've done this. You're really good at this because I think when people... You know, people have a, a sense of it's an understanding other people and empathy and, and how we view other people. I think I was very good at that maybe as a young person because actors took to me and, and I felt that I could show that sense of, you know, I understand. And I think going through my own hardships in my own way, we all do. I mean, no one is, suffers more than anyone else. But I like to tell that story now because I am getting to an age where I feel like a lot of things were not talked about that now everyone's sharing in their hashtag times on Me Too movement. That I also would like to share and I didn't get that opportunity. Mm. Uh, but I worked with wonderful people who never got recognition. And I always feel that if I don't say it, I mean, I'm just, you know, today is sadly, I'm remembering, you know, a great friend of mine who died a year ago, the late Shirley Douglas, who was an actress and activist She was sort of a girl after my own heart because this was the woman who was not only my best friend, but represented to me everything I wanted to be in the industry, a trailblazer, a pioneer, whatever you want to call it. She was an activist and creative and immensely kind and good to people. So everybody look up Shirley Douglas and what she did in her life. And then you think, what have I done? Um, And so Shirley taught me how to help other people and how to you need to be a kind of a, a mentor people. So I think back, and I'll just say, uh, when I worked in Toronto, when I very first started, Shauna Jabour. Shauna Jabour did lots of telly. She did the early David Cronenberg films, HOD Makeup. Lovely. She did very nice work, natural, beautiful work. Shauna took me under her wing. She recommended me to Stéphane Dupuis, who is by far still one of the most remarkable prosthetics makeup artists ever. You look him up, what he did. I mean, his career and he must be slowing down now, too, I guess. But um, she recommended me to Stéphane Dupuy, who was doing a film called The Fly. He needed an extra set of hands to work alongside himself, Chris Wales and Margaret Becerra. And I was the guy. And I, so I had a, this unbelievable amount of support from people who were exceedingly talented and extremely kind to take a chance. And which is why I take chances on people who are often younger and do some foolish things. But I do hire them sometimes over somebody who may be perhaps on paper more qualified So you see, we have to remember all those people who helped us. And a few of them really went that extra mile and said, you know, call this guy. And I think that's something that's missing today. And I think there's also a culture of people who also don't publicly say that. And I'm not trying to shame anybody, but I do think it's really important to say that people like no matter whether we're friends or we're not friends, you must always acknowledge the people who started you. So I think of producers, production managers, costume designers, people who were very good to me, actors,
1: you know. That's a fantastic answer. And you mentioned there, and in important word, which is clearly something you have as a trait, is empathy. Do you think that part of the reason you've succeeded so much as a personal makeup artist, you've developed those relationships?
0: The one thing I would say to anybody, one thing with actors
1: I've always known
0: is people want you to care about what you're doing. And sometimes people don't. It's not that they don't care. It's they don't know how to express it. And and I think the language, you know, the English language as we know, I mean, it's, it's very difficult. It's very awkward sometimes to say how you feel or feel how you, what you're saying is coming across. And, and some people have a kind of odd behavior, which is why maybe they work in film. And a lot of people are on the spectrum, which is not a bad thing, but it's something we have to talk about and say, well, like some actors will say, Donald, you know, they just don't understand. They're not getting it. Well, maybe you didn't explain it properly. But, <laughs> but there's also a kind of an actor. I remember working, being very young, working with Linda Preston, who was a very good department head, uh, we were doing the second Anne of Green Gables. It was a lovely actress called Marilyn Lightstone. She was fabulous. And I went to check her makeup and she said to me, and I've always been touched by this. She thanked me because she said, I said, well, that's what I do. That's my job. And she said, yeah, but you care. And I, it always stayed with me because she really meant that that I had taken I had done something that made her feel a little bit more uh, that I was watching for her and I think that's an important thing uh, all the other stuff you know grabbing people cups of coffee and you know can I light your cigarette can I do this that doesn't believe me you can host all the dinner parties you want and buy bottles of wine and you know all babysit all dogs sit let me clean your house for you that doesn't work if you're trying to show do you know what I mean yeah. I think that there's a sense that somebody really believes that you've thought of them, and and then you meet some remarkable people who equally think of you. And and I never, I mean, Daniel Craig. I mean, it's just you know I can't think of anybody who's a better, nicer, kinder human being. Who he will think of you. Uh, it may not even be that he's ringing for something because he doesn't. You know that thing. Not everybody's calling you because they want something, which is what I've learned in Los Angeles. Um, And and I love Los Angeles, but uh, there is a point and it's not just in L.A. It's everywhere. It's London. It's Toronto. It's it's everywhere. But, you know, that thing where out of the blues, someone will call you and say, hey, Donald, how are you? Just like that. And and I think that it's a moment where I feel very, um, you know, touched by it because we don't have a sense of that sometimes and that somebody hasn't expressed it. So. I think that that's a very good thing to emotionally be connected without being, you know, falling apart all the time. But it makes me a little bit emotional because I think of 30 years and, and how many people really care and really are good to you and, and who you've been good to as well. And, and so I think of Daniel and think, God, you know, boy, was I lucky when that whatever star happened that brought us together no matter what happens he'll always be someone i care about and who cares about me and and i'm very touched by that
1: did you feel heavy pressure when you had to take on a character like bond to design yeah it was terrifying I don't recommend it to people,
0: (laughs) you know, um, so it was a very interesting time for me because uh, I knew, you know, Daniel had asked me if we've done a few films already. And he'd asked me very nicely. He said, would you come and do Bond? And I thought wow, it was never on my bucket list. You know, I saw the films as a kid, like everybody. You know, I didn't even know people. I told a few people and they said, and I'm trying to think what I told Daniel. I said, I think I'll let you know. Let me think about this. Uh, Because that's the person I am. I've never been, uh, you know, I don't want to say I'm not easily impressed, but, you know, I'm not. And I love him. Uh, But I really had to think about it because it it wasn't a genre I'm familiar with. And I knew the people involved. And I met Sam Mendes, who's such a remarkable director. And, you know, my friend Zoe was going to be doing Daniel's Hair and Naomi Dunn was, I mean, it was great. But then we were taking this prolific character who's, I mean, just so ingrained in our culture and then having to do something different with him and make Bond not look as good as other Bonds. And this character is going through a really tumultuous time in his life. And so when I read Skyfall... I understood the reason they wanted me was, <laughs> I guess it's a compliment. I'm kind of good at messing people up. <laughs> and I'm also pretty good at making people look good. And I think it was a balance of Daniel sort of saying to Sam Mendes, we need to do something that's a bit different and make me look a certain way. But we also have to. And he, so he suggested me. And I remember going, being in London and and... I was terrified. It's no secret. I was terrified because I thought, well, what if I just screw this right up? And and, um, Daniel was, well, he was just so good because I thought it worked really well, but I know it was difficult. And Sam Mendes said, this is very difficult what you're going to do because we're not making Daniel gorgeous right away. and, And we're doing this sort of disheveled, unshaved and that took a lot of planning and a lot of breakdown and how we can do this and how we shoot around growing stubble and then shooting out a sequence, et cetera. But it was alarming because the first couple of days I thought, I am so fired. I mean, when they take a look at him with bleary eyed and but yet when I see it now, I know we did the right thing. I know it was right. And then when you see him and was it in Macau when he's on the boat and he's back as Bond, you kind of go, yeah, I kind of killed it. Um, But it didn't come easily. There was a lot of sleepless nights, yes. And I think Daniel had his moments of doubt going, what the hell was I thinking? But I'm very proud of it. And I think it's a great film. and, And they were very nice
1: to me. Yeah, it's absolutely iconic. And you mentioned the phrase, how Bond is ingrained in culture there. And something that I feel like you might not have spoken about much in interviews before, which as a Brit, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up. i would love to hear about your experience on the olympics because that is something is now ingrained in our culture as a skit that moment you worked on
0: it was really fantastic i mean i think one you know to first of all be part of the olympics and and you know uh, the the whole jubilee you know of of her majesty the queen and and all these secret talks we were having and, and it was so funny because you know, I said to Daniel, told me, he said, so we're, we're going to do this thing, but nobody can say anything. And I remember thinking, oh, my God. So I started telling it like so I started telling him and sort of. So let me just get this right. We're going to go to a BP and we're going to meet HMTQ number two. And we're going to set up and film a little bit. And the queen's going to act. I mean, it's it is so remarkable. It's astounding. I mean, it's really pretty brilliant. And I was, uh, it was fantastic. And we went and we did the whole thing. And it was a moment because one, it's the best Olympics ever. I mean, we can all agree, right? Absolutely. Best Olympics, Beijing, come on. The best Olympics ever, we're London the queen's jubilee in the same year and 50 years of bond yeah yeah and the jubilee and the queen at kind of her best her it was and going to the palace and and Meeting people who I'm still in touch with, and it was just, I I mean, honestly, I think that impressed anybody I know more than anything I've ever worked on. And to be in the presence of also a moment where the queen did something that she's never done before, that she acted, she pretended to be the queen. It was remarkable and boy, you could see it. And it was really, Daniel had such a good time. We all did. We had such a wonderful time. And he was like, she was really pretending to write. I mean, we just thought it was, the whole thing was fantastic and it made me very proud to be part of it all. And yeah, I
1: I mean, that was something else. Another person who's on your CV who famously didn't act and then did, and you were a part of that, which I would love to hear about, is Eminem on 8 Mile.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, with Marshall, uh, I mean Eminem. Yeah, he was it was something else because he he's uh, forget that he's remarkably talented and genius and brilliant and, and it was from another time. When I think back, it's twenty years ago. So that's you know considerable time in the business. Um, I worked on that. It was quite by accident. Somebody rang me a producer who knew that I'd worked a lot with Mark Wahlberg, and I think they thought it was a similarity. Uh, well, there is <laughs> uh, some close similarities and so I did. I went to meet um, M as you call him Marshall when you know him. I went to meet him, and it was very strange and I remember people thinking oh that's gonna be, what's that 's going to be what 's that going to be like and I, I love the music. I loved it i 'm um, a fan. It was a very tough time in America. It was around the time of, of 9-11. It was, a, you know, a deeply sad time. We'd, the film was delayed. I had finished a film uh, and had the time off, so I prepped it. I went to meet him, and it was an, a wonderful meeting, and he was one of the nicest people I've ever known in my life. And it was hard for him. It was hard for me. It was a tough director, uh, the late um, Curtis Hansen. He was a tough director, very tough. And, you know, we had uh, Brian Grazer producing. And it was a huge movie. Everything about Eminem, Marshall was, for me, was a, a win-win. I loved the experience of working with him. It was a sad time. I mean, we had, you know, Brittany Murphy died after we had uh, D'Angelo Wilson had died. Curtis has passed on. So I feel like it makes me a little bit sad now being... Looking back 20 years, going, what's happened in 20 years? Because I don't feel that different. But, you know, I, I miss Brittany. I think of her every year Christmas time. I always think she gave a little beautiful Christmas decoration. She was a really lovely girl. You know, she really was. It makes me deeply sad. Um, Marshall and I worked together. He would ask me to do everything with him. Uh, We did uh, a tour, we did music videos, album covers, the Grammys, the American Music Awards, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was kind of remarkable considering I never really wanted that type of career.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't have said you were necessarily the hip-hop entourage guy, Donald. No, but you know what? I'm really good at it, and I love it. And
0: I love it because sometimes when you're not, it's not your your field. You can become a sort of a very, uh, I felt quite expert on it. And I loved the feeling. Marshall's got a way about him. I can't quite explain it. He's so clever, and I bought him as a gift a thesaurus which um, people thought, what a strange thing to give to him. And I said, well, no, because he used to come to me all the time and say, what's another word for this? And I thought, I know what you need. Because my dad bought me a thesaurus when I was maybe, I don't know, seven or six. Who does that? But I was that kid, you know, I would read. And I thought with Marshall, we bought him a wrap gift that said Hollywood Marshall. We put it on a chair. He thought that was hysterical. Um He's a deeply, profoundly kind person and was very good to me. And through the course of filming, I don't think I've ever had anybody acknowledge, I think, how hard we work. I know how hard it is. You know how hard it is. But, you know, when you're working on a film and you're doing those hours and I mean, I know we can't use terrible language here, but, you know, when you're doing so much time effing work you are well as we say in Scotland knackered which is still not very polite but when you're knackered you are just cream crackered. you've done it and Marshall said to me one day and almost no one's ever said it to me and I thought you know more than most people because he went Donald you worked so hard today and I was like wow and that's one of the best things anybody has ever said to me is that he acknowledged As hard as he worked being number one, Eminem, greatest rapper, greatest hip hop, number one, Grammy, Oscar winning he recognized what i was doing and it was effing hard i'm not kidding the movie i had a nightmare oh you don't even want to know crew problems and staffing and makeup and hair drama and i i don't even want to talk about it because i feel like it was it was one of those films where you see you can't have it all great team i struggled and he was fantastic yeah he saw you He did. And I think he recognized that I really kicked ass. I mean, I killed it on that movie. And I had to run around after my crew, after a lot of, you know, I trained a lot of people on that film. Actually, they were nice actors. And Curtis was very good to me. My friend Mark Bridges did the costumes. We're still good friends. Greg Goodman produced it. We're still friends. I mean, you make, you know, there's some very good things happen over the years and a lot of tough things happen. And I'd love to work with him again. I just don't think he'll ever make a
1: film. You mentioned there the hours and how hard it is, particularly for people who are listening who don't know makeup and hair. Particularly are very long hours. I like to ask my guests when we come to the end of the podcast: Is there anything you would like to change about the industry?
0: Are okay. I think that if people seriously want to change the business, there has to be. You know that moment. There was a minute where back to we're really trying to get organized and trying to get the union movement back in the UK. So there was that. Remember Nikita Ray, and there was there was that happening. So there's that's a separate topic for another time. I'm happy to talk about it. Then there was a moment where Let's all be more international and unite everybody from America and North America and Europe and the UK. But that never really happens because the business is very split. But there was, I mean, maybe I can go back for a second, a film called Pleasantville many years ago. um, Sue Cabral was the makeup designer. There was a death on that film from a camera operator. I don't want to say the wrong names. I wasn't on the film. It was a changing moment for people in the industry. A man died. He lost his life driving home. I've been on jobs where people have died. It's not my favorite thing to talk about, but I think everybody says, well, what would you change about the business? But we always talk about it, but we never do anything. Kind of like the hashtag times up movement, because there's a moment where you go, well, I have something to say. And it's not on the agenda. And then you feel a bit kind of drowned out. So my point would be, if we're all working together and we're being inclusive and we're trying, and I do work with BAFTA, BFI, and all kinds of different people, then why did we never do that? Because people wouldn't sign petitions. People wouldn't agree. No, no, I need to make my overtime. That's the side of the business I'm not a fan of. That's when someone says, I don't really make my overtime. Let's say, for instance, I don't know, in some places, At 14 hours, I make my money. Do you know what I mean? And that is my, I think it's the one issue that I'm very strict about is that we were responsible for our own destiny. And many of us took it upon ourselves to say, I don't really care. This is how I want to do it. We used to have seniority in some places in the unions. I don't want it. Let's get rid of it. But nobody thought what would happen if you get rid of it. And now we're at a point where I feel that the hours I mean the hours kill people we've all seen it I think we needed to do better I think if we can change up diversity and what we're looking at and the BAFTAs this year alone and the changes we've made why didn't we do that that saved lives that made people live better so my answer to that is and I've got people working with me now and I'm always trying to say If you see something, if we see something dangerous, but I've just been on a film and I had a terrible experience on a film that I thought was quite dangerous. Nobody was really listening. People rang the people. Yes, they kind of care because they have to. But you know what I'm saying. There's a certain amount of um, don't ask, don't tell like the U.S. military used to be. And, And I think for that, I'm a little bit annoyed because I was talking to a friend yesterday who's we worked together years ago and we were talking about how nothing's really changed. And I think to some extent it hasn't. So when I say to somebody as a junior person, if you said to me, what would you really like to do and are you going to make a choice? Because I've spoken. I'm trying to get Neil Gordon to do a presentation for us with BAFTA. I'm very eager to have him. I think he's brilliant and what he's been doing. Uh, But then I get younger people. who ring me up from BAFTA crew, and they'll say, Don, can we talk? And I'm happy to. I think people really want the experience of speaking to somebody who's not as afraid. I I mean, I don't think I ever was afraid, but not everyone's in that position. I know that. I mean, I know, I get it. And there's some people are terribly afraid, and they know they're, they're scared. So that would be for me. The other thing, what don't Let's think of a positive thing. Uh, That's all a bit depressing. I think that there's the solidarity between the people. I'd love to see people. You don't have to like each other that much. You don't have to be friends. And I think it's best sometimes not to be. But I would love to see people feel that. Let's say, well, if Donald won't do it, there must be a good reason. So why won't you do it? I'd love to hear more of that. Um, I think you take a hit for the team, but you really have to take it for the team, if that makes sense. I'd love to hear more people talk about, I really believe in giving people opportunities and I want to know why people, some people won't, I don't understand it. I'd love to know if I'm doing something wrong sometimes because I've promoted a lot of people, I think over the years and moved people up. And some people think it's maybe too rushed, but I think until you're in it, you don't really learn. There's only so much you can get from a college or a course, if that makes sense. So I think it's a great question you're asking, but there's a lot about the business that's still imperfect, but I do also think of the positives and I'm, I'm a pragmatic man. I really am. And I think I always remember at the end of the day, what we do is important to us and to the people we care about. And, and then I'm fortunate to be able to get to do what I like to do and make a living and a relatively good one. Maybe it's a bit Pollyanna. There's a certain time, when I hear it, sometimes I go, oh, my God, I can't believe that person just said that. You know, we're all in it together uh, because sometimes that's just not true. But sometimes it is, you know, and you're working with a group of people and I see their faces when I get people to come to BAFTA crew and they never knew they could join. And I think, yes, do it. Come on, let's get you in there. And I love that. I love seeing we had a great event before COVID at Piccadilly and the turnout of young filmmakers. I'd love to see. Okay, here's what I'd love to see change. I think makeup and hair and prosthetics have gone rogue. I think they've gone off too much to be makeup, hair and prosthetics. I would love them to think of themselves as filmmakers. I would love people to know that we can all do makeup, hair and prosthetics. We can do makeup, hair or prosthetics. You can do whatever you want to do. But I'd love to see makeup artists, particularly, Think of themselves as filmmakers, and I'd like to instill that maybe in in more people instead of it being this sort of um, a necessary evil, if that makes sense. Because some people feel that we didn't advance the way we should have in the industry, if that makes sense.
1: Thank you for that fantastically eloquent answer.
0: I feel you have more questions for me. Ask, because we can do it.
1: I have, well, I like to wrap up with a bit of a quick fire, if that's all right okay. by you. It's, it's my own um, version of In the Actors Studio questionnaire. How
0: about that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so just say whatever comes into your head first. Okay. And I'm looking forward to hearing your answers. First one is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
0: Say behind the camera.
1: Very good. Number two, do you have a favorite film? And second part, if our listeners were to watch one of your pieces of work tonight, what's a, what should they watch?
0: you're killing me here. Uh, favorite film. I don't know. I'm going to just go out on a limb. I think the one I keep coming back to is Stanley Kubrick's Mary Linden.
1: And if our listeners were to watch one of your films tonight, after they listen to your interview, what do you think they should watch?
0: I, I, I don't know. I think there's something in a lot of films. What am I? I don't know. Sometimes there's the, the best and the worst. I'm not sure. I would say, am um, I, I don't know, maybe Blade Runner. Um, There's a lot in there. There's a lot of me in there. I think Um, I'm not good. You know what? I'm really not good at what people should see that I've worked on because sometimes I think it's not good or there's a moment, there's something in it that's very hard to explain, but I think there's a lot in the film. So I would say, yeah, I would say, or prisoners, maybe, maybe prisoners. There's a lot of me in that too, that I put I think of myself sometimes, do you know that thing where there's the hidden, there's a film that you know Oh, on paper. I mean, you know, we can't talk about Dune really, but I I would love to, but there is a lot about that film. I'm very, very deeply, profoundly proud of, Um, but sometimes it's more the story behind it. And so I'm not answering your question, Um, but I would say, and the fighter, So I've given you too many answers, haven't I? It's
1: even better. Three.
0: Yeah, I'd say the fighter because I really feel like I'm also the fighter. And there's a lot of obstacles one goes through to do what we do.
1: Fantastic. Number three, what gives you a reason to get out of bed every day for an early call time, if any at all?
0: This is a very interesting question because it's been on my mind a lot recently. So a couple of years ago, I started to get tired, you know, like really tired getting up. And I think that um, here's the thing. When we love what we do, we do it and we're happy. You just get up and you take it and you think, suck it up. I have never got used to getting up at three in the morning. Never. And I never will, nor will you. You never do. It ruins your life on many levels. Um, But I do really want to address that because... When I was young, I remember my first couple of films having to... I was doing Crowd, and I'd set the alarm, living in my mom and dad's, and setting the alarm for 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, people do it who go fishing, and people do it who farm. And we're not so special. I mean, nurses do it, and all kinds of people do it. But there is something... Uh, when I've got up on films, like on Dune, we had these... We were shooting in the Emirates, and we had the sunrises to do. And, and it was kind of... Truly spectacular. But if you have to get up at two in the morning, of course, you're not going to bed at eight o'clock at night or five, seven o'clock. You end up, you can't fall asleep. You end up until midnight. And so you know that feeling. That is part of the problem because you can only do that for such a period of time till it starts to kind of ruin you. And I think that's the other side of this that I have to really say I'd love to I'd love to take stock if we were going to change the industry Is you know, those early, early calls, how often can you do them? How many, how many months can you do that or days? I've been very lucky. I've only had a handful of jobs, but you know, where I have to get up at three Uh, you know, you get a flight sometimes at five in the morning, you have to do it. But what gets me up, I would say when I get up and I'm excited and I read the call sheet, or I look at the sides or the script for tomorrow and I go, you know, this is really exciting. And I'm 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 excited to figure this out and work with the people. And there's always a new and sometimes even if it's if it's a little bit negative, um, it's a bit of a headache. I'm a problem solver. That's what I do. Right. And I love to figure out the puzzle because I'm terrible at math, but I can figure out a problem like how do you do this? And how will you get that makeup done or get that wig sorted? I love solving the problem and I love to create the world it's in, whether it's Blade Runner or Doom. Um, But I'd also like to reserve a little side of that to say that then we also have to talk about how much can one do that to themselves? You know, how much can you do that to your body? I mean, you were saying Terminator. I don't know what your hours were like. I mean, you were there with Michael and Billy Corso and everybody. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know how long people can. Do you know what I mean? How long they could take. That was a long shoot, wasn't it? You know how long you can take that beating on your body when you're young, etc. I'm just saying as you get to be in your 40s and your 50s. I think there is a moment you have to start to question your conditioning and your health and, you know, but uh, back to the question at hand. Yes, you if you're on a good project and you're excited about it and there's a there's something fueling it, of course, it's your living Um, when it's not good is when it's just for the money. It's when you know you have to pay the rent and it's a job that's killing you. And I've been on those, too. And that's soul destroying. If you have a job that's nine to five and you don't fancy it, that's one thing. But when you're on a film or a television thing and you don't love it. And I've been on those rarely, but I have, especially when I started out. That's that's really eating some humble pie, you know, Uh, or when you do a favor and it turns into a huge thing.
1: Uh, fantastic answer. And number four is which job in the industry would you do if you weren't doing yours? Probably nothing.
0: I love it. I, 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 I mean, it's, 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 it's lame, but I love what I do. I don't see myself. Costume design was my original sort of interest level. I would say costume design would be, would be up there, not art direction, production design, sound, forget it. Uh, no, nothing.
1: I can take nothing. Number five, if you could work with one person living or dead, who would it be? That's a big one.
0: Well, I just can't answer that. I just don't. You're putting me in a terrible spot, living or dead. Mm. Well, dead's maybe a better way to go. As an actor, I would have loved to have worked with um, probably Alec Guinness, Albert Finney. I I knew him briefly on on Skyfall. I would say probably Albert Finney because he was probably the best actor there ever was.
1: Lovely. What is a book that everyone should read? Okay,
0: can I say two books?
1: You can, Donald.
0: Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man by James Joyce. And another book called My Name is Asher Lev by Haim Potok. I would say those are the two books uh, that juxtapose or something. I like things that are comparative. They're harder reading. I think on a lesser kind of fun just study of people, uh, Last Exit to Brooklyn,
1: I'll have to look them up. I haven't read them myself, but I look forward to reading them. And finally, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank?
0: Well, you know, I think that those things can be very tricky. Um, I, I think that um, I think I'm sort of a bridesmaid in that category. You know, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. I, I just wouldn't put too much emphasis on it, other than uh, what we talked about before. I would think in anything I've ever been nominated for or won a prize. I like to remember the people who put you in that position, which is something missing in the business sometimes is, you know, your mom and dad didn't put you on the job. So a lot of people mix it up, I think, as much as my mom and dad have been great. But I think if I were to ever win something um, and the few things I've been around for, I think it's the people who put you there. The actor, the director, your team, your team that, you know, you put them there, but they put you there, if that makes sense. So that's, um,
1: and craft service and the man that picks you up in the van. It's very kind of you. They're not often recognized. They're never recognized, but we can change all that. Thank you so much for such insightful, uh, very real answer. I would say of all of our guests, you're, you're a very real guest. And I, I thank you for that. So, uh, thank you for everybody for listening to Red Carpet Rickies today. And thank you to Mr. Donald Moat for joining me.
0: Thank you for having me and to people listening. And, and I would love to just add that, if I may, it's been a, we know, this really unbelievably tough year. So people listening, I, you know, we get it. I get it. And, and I worry about people sometimes. So ask questions when you meet people. And, and I think it's great that we talk about things in our industry that aren't just about how to get to do something you know just in general checking in on people has been a new thing for me i'd love to to speak with people more i like a phone call um so people who write to me you know they know i usually respond Uh, but i do like there's something really kind of nice that people feel they can contact someone so uh the people listening who are newer um you know, I'm a huge, I love BAFTA crew, the BFI. I love the program. Ask me about it. If you have questions, uh, just try to make things, try to make things a little bit better for people
1: if we can. Um, that's it. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To help us grow, please do subscribe and drop us a rating on the Apple Podcast Store on your iPhone or online if you're an Android user. And of course, any support via our Patreon page or merch is amazing. So if you'd like to help, please do head to redcarpetrookies.com and follow the links. If you'd like regular updates of what's going on, you can also follow Red Carpet Rookies on Instagram and Facebook or RC Rookies Pod on Twitter. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.